0: Good morning. It's such a blessing to be here uh, from Frankfurt, Germany, and to be back here in America. I'm going to do something. This reminds me that my wife keeps me accountable. Um, who has a wife in here that keeps you accountable? Is it good, right? You can say amen, right? And uh, my wife, right before I left a few days ago, she said, You're going to America. Keep yourself under control. <clears throat> and so I can feel on this button, and uh, down here on this button, um, that, I'm, that I'm, I'm still on the side of control, but barely. Yeah, I had a, had a, I don't know what that restaurant was last night, I already forgot, but we had, we had pancakes, and we had chicken, fried chicken, of course, and we had a maple buffalo sauce. It was awesome. All right. That, that what we're just saying, it's your breath in our lungs, that's beautiful. Because right away, right before we come, I mean, what what is something better to hear before we open the Word of God, before we hear the preaching of the Word of God, and before we even sing, that we hear it's, our, it's your breath in our lungs. We're so dependent upon God, aren't we? God is even making us breathe. (laughs) Without Him, we wouldn't be singing, we wouldn't be breathing. Uh, We wouldn't be going on mission trips. Um, We wouldn't be serving our community. We wouldn't be doing any of this stuff. It's all because of God, and it's all for God. And that's awesome. I mean, you think about the God of the whole universe, and He says, you get to be a part of what I'm doing. Okay, this isn't the God of just Austin, Texas or Frankfurt, Germany, um, or you know, like Plano, Texas or something like that. This is the God of the whole universe. The whole universe. Have you ever thought about how big the universe? Is, it's just crazy. And um, sometimes when I look out in the stars, well, when I look in Frankfurt, I don't see any stars. But um, when, I went, when I was at my hometown a few days ago and, and you look up in the clear sky and you see the stars, and you're immediately reminded of how big the universe is and how scary it is to think that we're so small here and knowing that we're dependent upon the earth spinning and staying in the same place as it is. And so I'm just thankful here, and I'm praying that the earth doesn't you know stop spinning while we're here, that'd be bad. Um, but we're gonna look at the word of God. We know that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he's got a message for us, and I believe that God, no matter how you've come here this morning, maybe you've come with a friend and you're not really sure about this whole thing, uh, maybe you've never been to a church in your whole life, maybe you've gone here your whole life, um, it doesn't matter. I believe that today, that if we come with an open heart, that, that we can really hear a message from that God who's keeping the whole universe um, in, intact. Pastor Danny, I was really thankful for him and his wife. Um, Ashley and for Andy Spencer and Kathy and their family and, um, and coming over to Frankfurt and partnering with us and uh, really thankful to be here in Austin. Also, um, it was really interesting. I was commissioned here as a part of an IMB appointment service a few years ago and we got back there afterwards. We were shaking hands and a one Becky Dean came to uh, shake my hand. And it was uh, kind of a little shocking um, because I had actually served on kind of a summer mission-type trip with her in Germany, uh, I don't know, it's like, I don't, I'm not going to tell how many years ago it was now, but it was a bunch of years ago. And um, so we're, you, guys, you guys are blessed, and, and I feel blessed to be here today. So blessed world, that was the topic that Pastor Danny gave me, he said it was part of a series. And I've got to be really honest, when he said blessed world, um, I'd had a pretty rough week. I had met some people that week that didn't cause me to question whether the world was blessed, but it sure didn't feel like it at that specific moment. And we're so weak, aren't we? We're so weak. And in certain moments, even when we're trusting in God and we hear certain stories, we realize um, that we're so dependent upon Him. And I, I, I had just talked to some broken families in my neighborhood Families, um, families where the mom and the dad weren't getting together. Uh, families where the kids were, were suffering um, under just a broken family situation and had been bothering me. I thought about the different relationships in my neighborhood. I thought about all of the political unrest uh, within, within Germany today that, that has recently happened. I had spent time with a Syrian man that I know who's lost half of his leg in the Syrian war and made it to Germany. I have a friend who's struggling to walk. A boy that I just saw coming back to America who's on his 10th heart surgery and he's barely on his 10th year of life. Division across countries in our world I mean, we have division in America, right? Violence in Spain, war in Syria, all kinds of different hurts. And we would, be, we would be ridiculous to say that there aren't these hurts in our world. And so I was conflicted when he said, I'd like you to preach on a blessed world. Because up here I knew that we have a blessed world, but right there I wasn't feeling it in that moment. And I knew that I needed to get right with God before I came here. If that's how you feel this morning, that the world has this hurt, I hope that this passage today from the book of Acts, that it will give you hope. But on the other hand, some of people might sort of just uh, look over this whole thing and they say, hey, man, we've made more technological advances in the past 100 years than the previous 2,000 combined. And uh, you know, more people have water, clean water today than they've ever had. And, and you, you, you could say the world is completely blessed, but I think even there, we fall short of really understanding what it means to be blessed. And that's just such a superficial understanding. So I hope today that this challenges you and the text will show you that there's another reality, that there's, there's really more to this life. And I'm gonna give you a key question right now. So the key question for today is, that I wanna answer. Is the world truly blessed? Because there seems like a conflicting things going on here. And if so, how is it blessed? And where can I see this in the world today? I hope you would open with me to uh, the book of Acts in chapter 17, and we're gonna start in verse 16. Paul, Paul has uh, just left the, the Bereans, and he's come to Athens, this, this wonderful city in many ways, of, of an ancient city in Greece. Still an amazing city to go visit, I'm sure. I don't know if anybody's ever been there, um, but hopefully being, going there would make this text come alive. It says in verse 16, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was troubled within him when he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews, and with those who worship God in the marketplace every day with those who happen to be there. Then also, some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers argued with him. Some said, what is this pseudo-intellectual trying to say? Others replied, he seems to be a preacher of foreign deities because he was telling the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. They took him and brought him to the Areopagus and said, May we learn about this new teaching you're speaking of? For what you say sounds strange to us, and we want to know what these ideas mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners residing there spent their time on nothing else but telling or hearing something new. Then Paul stood in the middle of the Areopagus and said, men of Athens, I see that you're extremely religious in every respect. For as I was passing through and observing the objects of your worship, I even found an altar on which was inscribed to an unknown God. Therefore what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, he is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in shrines made by hands. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things. From one man, he has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. He did this so they might seek God, and perhaps they might reach out and find him. Though he's not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and exist and even some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Being God's offspring then, we shouldn't think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image fashioned by human art and imagination. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere to repent because he has set a day When he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed, he has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. While they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some began to ridicule him. But others said, we'd like to hear from you again about this. Then Paul left their presence. However, some men joined him and believed, including Dionysius the Arapagite, a woman named Damaris, and others with him. Let's pray. Thank you, God, so much for this text that you have left us in the Bible. And we know that you've left it to us for a reason. And God, thank you so much for this, this experience that Paul had and that we can learn from it today. And God, we thank you that you were really overall, that you're giving us a breath. And God, I pray right now that you would fill my lungs with your breath, um, that, that your breath would go forth and that it would come into our hearts, all of us, and that we would give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to focus back here on verse 16. It says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was troubled within him when he saw that the city was full of idols. You see, Paul, right away, he recognized the problem. And I want to tell you right now that that you might say, this is such a foreign idea, the problem of idols, yeah. But I wanna let you know that here in Austin, Texas, that you've got the same problem that Athens had. Frankfurt, Germany has the same problem that Athens had. Athens, Greece has the same problem that Athens had. We've all got this problem. It's not only in India where people worship idols. It's not only in a Buddhist temple in Taiwan, where my wife is from, that people worship idols. People worship idols here. People worship idols in my hometown. And we all struggle every day with not worshiping idols. Paul recognized the problem, a city full of idols. Many, there were so many idols in Athens at this time, and you could, you could buy them. You could uh, put, them, put them on your shelf and uh, pray to them in the morning. And this was really evident to me when I lived in Taiwan. Um, after my wife and I got married, we moved to Taiwan for a year. And, and, and many people there still have um, sort of a little altar in their home uh, with idols on it. Actually, some restaurants here you'll see have the same, the same thing. And so even though they're not all visible like they were in Athens, but I want to challenge you guys that, to, to see and recognize the idols that we have here today. Martin Luther. It's been 500 years since the Reformation, since Martin Luther nailed those 95 theses upon the church door at Wittenberg, and when he did that, he kind of he kind of had a personal personal revival first. It wasn't really a Reformation for a whole continent. He had this personal revival, and he recovered the Bible and, and the Gospel, and um, and one of the things that he said and he saw even in his own time in which what caused him uh, to even in, embark on this whole idea of reformation uh, was this. He said, whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that is really your God. I'm going to say it again. Whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that is really your God. You may not agree with Martin Luther on every single theological point that he ever wrote. I know I I don't agree with every single little thing that he did, but I sure do agree with that. And he saw that problem and he said, the gospel has to be the answer for this. So he realized there's a big problem um, in his culture and I would contend even today. Paul was troubled within him when he saw that the city was full of idols. He He was being provoked, the New American Standard, Says he was deeply distressed. He was upset, and maybe you've seen an injustice in front of your eyes before. I know my father once when he was in Tanzania. He he was he was far off, and he saw he saw a man being burned to death for having for having stolen a bicycle. And he said he was so provoked within inside of him. He was distressed. He had no control over the situation to control the mob, but he had this feeling of distress. Maybe you've felt that way before. So put yourself in Paul's shoes. He's going into the city and he sees all of these idols and he's realizing these people here, they're worshiping something. You know, they, they've taken something good and they're, they're, they're worshiping it as an ultimate thing. For instance, they're taking, maybe they worship the God of the ocean. Well, God created the ocean. The ocean is awesome. Um, it's amazing, it's beautiful, but they've taken something like the ocean and they've worshiped it as an ultimate thing and, and really made a God out of it. Today in my city, uh, this, is, this is a problem. We took, we took Pastor, Pastor Danny and, and Annie and their wives uh, through Frankfurt, like we do many people and many students when we're encouraging them to come to church plant. And we brought them and we, we bring them sort of a walk through the city. And it's not very long before you start to see the idols. And so we start them at the train station, uh, where one of the largest drug scenes in Germany is, right out in the open. You see people shooting up, um, getting clean needles from sanctioned, uh, sanctioned offices that are legal uh, there, and <clears throat> and you see that, that that people have taken something good. Medicine, something that helps us in many other ways. And they, it, it started to control them. They've made it into an ultimate thing, into a God, something that everything clings, their whole life clings to, something that they're willing to give up their health for, their, their, their lives for, all of their money, their professions. When I go down there and, and pray with some of those guys, time to time, I meet people who were school teachers. I meet people who were bankers. I meet people from every kind of walk of life. Um, I meet people who were house cleaners. Every, everything that you can think of, these people were before this God has taken hold of them that they had been worshiping. This is the situation that Paul entered in when he came to Athens. We go from the drug scene in Frankfurt, and um, it's in the center of Germany. And you, you go just like really two streets over. You'll come, to Frank, you'll come to Germany's second largest red light district. And prostitution is legal in Germany. And so uh, it's very out, much out in the open. And you walk by and, and you see just rows and rows of houses um, where, where people are, 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 are li- literally standing out in front and, in, and encouraging you to come in, to come in. And uh, we, we've had a prayer group that's gone down there before and, and, some, and, and done a lot of work in that area, but... But one of, uh, one of the men uh, who's a pastor at our church, he said, you know, we were with some other men and, and we, thought we, were together. we thought we were okay, we're all together. And one of the guys is literally trying to pull us into the brothel and saying, come on. And so you see that there's this idol that people have worshiped of sexuality. Sexuality is a wonderful thing. It's something that God has given us, but it wasn't meant to be an ultimate thing. It was something that was meant to be, to be between a man and a woman who are married, and, and it was something that was to be celebrated and to, to actually give God glory for it. And uh, medicine is something to give God glory for, but when they become ultimate things, they become God's. If you walk a few more blocks through Frankfurt, you'll come to one of our, really, our most visible idol. We have many, many skyscrapers with the tallest skyline in Frankfurt. And you see many, many banks. We're actually the, we're actually the number one, uh, our number one crime in Frankfurt um, is white collar crime. And so we have, men, we have men and women who work in these places for 12 to 14 hours a day, seven days a week for years, for years, sacrificing their families, sacrificing their health and, and, and still not finding at the end really what they're looking for because instead of seeing uh, finances as something that God has given us to live in this place and to give him glory for it, it can, it can get out of whack really quickly and become something that's worshiped. I know these aren't problems that we have in America, You see, these things work together. There are many more. There's knowledge, knowledge. Knowledge is a good thing, but when it becomes an ultimate thing and it's not redeemed by the gospel and it's without the gospel, and then it becomes a thing that really uh, boxes us in and, 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 it, and, it, and it entraps us. The arts, a great thing. What is, so the arts are beautiful and I love to hear a symphony, but we see that even Johann Sebastian Bach when he, was writing his, uh, when he was writing many of his works, um, at the bottom of every one, do you know what he would write? Soli Deo Gloria. Soli Deo Gloria. To the glory of God alone. To the glory of God alone, because he knew, I think, that his stuff was so good that people would worship him. And he wanted to remind them, I am not the one to worship. The music is not the one to worship. But there's a God in heaven, and he's the one who deserves the worship for this. In Germany, um, fashion's a big deal, at least in the city that I live in. Some people, we have a thing, I'm sure it's here too. It's, uh, it's, it's called uh, therapy shopping. I, I'm translating it. I don't know if it's like that. Uh, but when you feel bad or you, had a good, or you had a bad day, you just go shopping. It's not stuff you'll ever wear, but you buy it because it makes you feel good. It gives you something that you think that you need that you don't have. And that's what idols do to us. They, they, and they promise something ultimate, they promise something infinite, they promise something beautiful, when really they're only a reflection of the beauty of the glory of God and taken and made a God into themselves. It gets really messy really quick. Now there's this circle that goes on and I believe that was going on in Athens and anywhere else you see idols in the world. And I think you're in Austin, Texas too. There's a circle of idol, idolatry that's evil. And because you see the people who are doing drugs down here, they don't just stay there and shoot up a little bit and feel good and go back to sleep. No, they're, they're so desperate. They're, they're, so, they're so desperate um, that, that many of them, that many of them start to deal drugs. They take the money that they have to, 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 for drugs and they, and they go to visit the houses of prostitution. And you see the, the ladies who maybe got in, in, in traps, some are there by choice, some are there not there by choice. Some, some are there because they've been forced to be there. But, but even in Germany where it's legal, you have some who have come for a financial gain. They've sought something in desperation um, out, and, and being victims, of course. But they have also not getting what they need. They're, not, they're looking for maybe, maybe money um, or intimacy, and it's, it's not coming. So they come to the guys who are selling drugs, and they trade services. But it's not just them. Those are the people we as evangelical Christians normally look down upon. We're better than them, right? That's what we say. That's what we think. That's how we feel. But we're really not. You see, there are men, we have friends who have a cafe in this area, and they say, you know, we see men every day coming down from their lunch break from some of these very tall buildings in their suits and coming a couple blocks over and visiting these houses of prostitution. They're also not getting what they're looking for. Their marriages many times are a mess because they work so much and they come looking for a quick, quick, quick intimate time. And I just want to, I I could go on and on and on because my heart's also distressed for my city. I'm also provoked by these things. Not to think that these people are bad or worse, but to see this, this system of idolatry that has enslaved them. And you can't help but have compassion for something like that, amen? You cannot help but have compassion for that. Soccer is another one, but I'm not gonna, get, I'm not gonna go there yet. <laughs> the participants that we bring through this area, including, including your pastor and, and others, They often feel deeply distressed after experiencing this combination of idols, how they work together, how they enslave one another. It's almost like one is a priest offering what they've got to another one, and the other one in turn acts as a priest for their own idol in return. And so there's so many mixed feelings when you go in here. We feel better, but we know the gospel says that we're not better. We have to see through Paul's eyes in verse six, the, we read that these eyes that he had and that God gave him, they, they turned the whole world upside down. And I believe the gospel that his eyes, this compassion, this will turn our world upside down again. We have to always be asking, where are the idols in my backyard? That's where it starts. Just like Luther said, where is my idol? Where, where? It started with a personal revival of the gospel that spread across Germany, across Europe, that, 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 that spread through the pietism movement to, to the Moravian movement, which even came over to our east coast of the United States of America. Where are the idols in my backyard? Where are the idols in Austin? Where are the idols in Frankfurt? And not just other people's idols. You see, I think we see them in India and Taiwan, but we, we rarely see them where we live And when we do see them, we see other people's idols. But let's ask God, God, what is causing me not to believe the gospel, to trust you like I should? Now, I think there's some typical steps for people on this idol walk, and we try to help them with this. And I think this is what Paul is going through here. There's this recognition that Paul has here when he's troubled with this. And it's um, a bigger, concentrated, these idols are bigger, they're concentrated, they're more visible. And many people come, a righteous anger. So we're not talking about anger towards these people, but anger towards um, these idols in this system. And an understanding that we have the tendency to much more quickly accept someone who sacrifices their family and their health for money, but not for people like uh, drug addicts or prostitutes. You see, this is something that not only believers in Jesus can understand, but there was a beggar in front of the tallest building in Germany, Bank, and he met, uh, he met my friend who's a pastor, and he had this conversation with him, and he said, and he was, he was drug, dealing with the drug addiction, and he said, you know what? I see these guys come out every day, and I ask them for one euro, which is like a dollar. I asked them for one dollar, And they just passed right by me. And he said, but you know, they're not that much different than I am. They're just going after another thing. We're not much different. We have been redeemed by Jesus. So our desires have been redeemed. This desire for sexuality has been redeemed and said, no, it can be a beautiful thing within marriage. This desire um, 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 yeah, for, 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 for this uh, ecstasy that people get, it can be redeemed by saying, no, only Jesus can provide those feelings in, in, that we need um, and, and not a substance. This is something that a beggar understood very deeply. And I hope that you'll uh, come to the place today, if you haven't, where you'll understand that as well. We need to see through Jesus' eyes with compassion for people who are like sheep without a shepherd. And that's the third thing, is compassion. The gospel can do more than just condemn bad ideas. And Paul didn't just simply try to fight those ideas that were different than his, but he took objects that the people worship and he saw the deeper desire behind it. Just like Paul did with this idol that he was referring to, to an unknown God. He exposed what they were actually worshiping but he also connected that desire of what their heart was, was searching for to the truth and redeeming those desires. Paul recognized the potential in cities. You see, he very often went to cities um, and he would start his ministry there. And we read that after he went to Ephesus, that just in uh, you know, a few years though, it says the whole region was where well, the whole, the whole uh, Asia was reached. That's like all of modern day Turkey. And he realized that if God brought a gospel movement to one of those places, that it would affect everywhere around it. And I wanna let you guys know, you guys are in such a strategic spot here in Austin and Great Hills in this area. Don't ever think, oh, I just live in Austin. When I lived in Memphis, I remember so many people, uh, I so many people being so negative about the fact that they live in Memphis. But I wanna say, no, don't be negative about the fact that God has placed you here. God brought Paul to Athens because he saw it as a strategic place. You live in a strategic place. You live in a, in a place that, that influences the rest of Texas, the rest of the world in many ways. You live in a place um, that, that all the towns and, 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 uh, around here, that they look here, they come to shop here, they come to school here. This is an important, important place. So he saw also the potential that was in the city here. You see, with Frankfurt, we see that potential right now. Because although I have to shake 1,000 hands before I meet one or two evangelical believers, let me say that again. I have to shake 1,000 hands before I can meet one or two evangelical believers in my city. And I want you to know that there's a huge potential there, that Jesus sees those people and he cares about them and has compassion upon them. Paul understood the influence of these kind of places. He understood that also, that things don't always look blessed all over the world, but that, the, that these places are important and that he is blessing them. All right, so let's move it a little bit forward because I've, I've said on this part of that the world is blessed in spite of its problems, but the problems are real. The world is blessed in spite of its problems, but the problems are real. Paul also recognized in verse 18, the potential to share the gospel in these places like Frankfurt and Austin. He said, in verse 18, he says, he seems to be a preacher of foreign deities, the others said about, about him, because he was telling the good news of Jesus and the resurrection. You see, Paul knew that the message that was most powerful was the gospel of Jesus Christ and the fact that he died on the cross for their sins, that they, that they didn't have to go after these other desires anymore, but he redeemed them and he, he came back to life having victory over death. That was his message. What's your message? Because if it's not that, it's the wrong message. This is the most powerful message that we have today. Martin Luther also, <laughs> He said something about this, he said, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the true treasure of the church. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the true treasure of the church. You see, the world is not blessed because of anything that we do on our own. We can't even breathe on our own, we sang earlier. But it's blessed because of the good message of the gospel, and the gospel is what Jesus did, because when it's understood, it changes everything. You see, these Epicureans and these Stoics, they were philosophers here in Athens. The Epicureans, they lived for good feelings. They were hedonistic. They wanted to reduce uh, suffering. And the Stoics, they denied even the possibility of a resurrection. And they're probably thinking here, what is he talking about? What do you mean, what do you mean suffering and resurrection? Those are two things that we have already, we've already ruled those out. And i understand this completely because in where I, where I live if i come to somebody and i give them the four spiritual laws without any background and i say you're a sin, you're a sinner they would say well i i don't believe in sin um, well okay and it, and if i get to the point where i tell them um you're, you're lost and you're going to be judged um if you if you don't have your sin paid for well i don't believe in judgment and, and those kind of things, those are discriminatory. You need to be saved. Oh, come on, please. Saved from what? So this is is the culture that I live in. And so we've realized that we have to start a few steps before that. And so Paul's doing that here. He goes back and he says, oh, you didn't get that, did you? Let me talk to you a little bit more about it. And he spends the chapter doing that. One of the things that we do in Frankfurt is is we, we, we use this idea of idols because really that's what sin is, worshiping something, anything else, with our thoughts or our actions other than Jesus Christ. And so we help people understand, and everybody knows everybody's going for something. We all have something we're going for, and people, people realize that. So that what is he even talking about, his death and suffering? I think think sometimes we have the the greatest message that we need, um, but we we don't think about how we're presenting it to people. And Paul was very careful in how he presented it to people. This reminds me of one time before we were married, uh, we were engaged and we went to visit my sister who lives in New York, my wife and I, and we were gonna go to Niagara Falls. Who's ever been to Niagara Falls? Beautiful place, right? So we're going across. My wife had a student visa in America at that time. She's originally from Taiwan. She had a student visa. So uh, we thought, we, 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 were, we were naive, and <laughs> we decided to, uh, to go over into Niagara Falls and cross the border. My sister went in first. We made it all the way across the bridge to the Canadian side, and the Canadians, you know, they're like really nice and like, hey, A, hey, uh, you have... Uh, You've, uh, you don't have the right visa, eh? So uh, you have to turn around. And so <laughs> um, I have grandparents who are Canadians. If you're Canadian, I love you. Uh, so the, the thing is, we got across and we came back. And when we came back through the American side, we had to roll our window down. And they, of course, asked, why didn't they let you in? <laughs> and we said, well, because she has a student visa. And he said, what's her relationship to you? And I said, well, um, she's my fiance. And he said, I'm gonna need you to pull over. And so we pulled over and, he, and I said, is there, is there a problem? And he said, um, she doesn't have a fiance visa. And I said, <clears throat> a fiance, fiance what? He doesn't have a fiance visa. And I said, um, okay, long story short, we got brought up to the tower at over the bridge at Niagara Falls and stood there for about four hours until we were questioned for about an hour until they let us go and realized that she wasn't, um, you know, apparently a fiance is to bring over a fiance to come get married or something like that. I don't know, uh, but we were speaking the same thing, but hearing something different. And I think we have to be aware of that, that people today And the people today, I don't know how Austin is as much, but I know in Frankfurt that when I'm, when I'm telling the gospel to somebody, I have to start a few steps forward. Because when I say something like sin, they say, I don't believe in that. So we talk about idols. And when they agree that yes, people are worshiping something, people are going after something that's not Jesus. Then we say, you know, um, yes, there's an idea in Germany that sin is either like eating too much chocolate or like something terrible like committing the Holocaust. Those are sinners. Uh, But you know, all the people in the middle aren't. So we say, Okay. I know that the definition that most people hold of sin is this one, but the definition of sin in the Bible is actually closer to idolatry. And people say, ah, okay, I I get it. I at least can understand. So we have to get there and that problem to get to the gospel. You see, when we're faithful to give the gospel, like Paul was here to to the Athenians, we've got to be ready that some of this will sound like nonsense because it's foreign to their worldview. I think sometimes in churches, we have been, it's great to be together, right? We've been together so much that we've almost, our worldview has become so different than the people who are not uh, believers that we have to think, is this communicating to them what I want to communicate? So we're not changing the message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, um, but, but but we are definitely saying, which door can we go through so that they will hear that message? Sometimes people feel threatened, like the Epicureans and Stoics. They didn't believe in their life in the the resurrection after death. Some people don't believe because they have a heart problem. The Spirit of God works in different people's hearts at different times, and the message of of the cross is foolishness to them. And when someone gets it, it's the most radical, life-changing message ever given to human beings, and it is like it is like candy to somebody who says, you have found the treasure that I've always had and it's amazing. Have you, have you ever experienced one of your close friends um, or a relative who, who's come to know Jesus? It's, it's, it's great because you know that they have found that treasure. Not only for the gospel do you get what you deserve, uh, do you not get what you deserve, what we call mercy, a holding back of wrath and judgment, but because Jesus died in our place where we should have died, we also get what we don't deserve, what we call grace, a gift of an inheritance of an abundant life with Jesus and life eternal, because Jesus was also resurrected, paving the way for us. And for the Stoics and Epicureans who'd written off this afterlife, this is probably extremely difficult to accept as the truth. But we read later that some did accept it as the truth. In Frankfurt, in Austin, in Great Hills, you might feel like this is an extremely difficult message in our day and time to carry with you because it's so different and even times opposed to what people in my city might believe. And we can feel hopeless at times and desperate when we think about the gospel and how people in our culture might not accept it. Some people will hear, though, Romans 5, 8, but while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly, and this will be good news, regardless of how you thought it would come across. The gospel is always good news, but everyone won't always hear it that way. It will change lives. And I wanna read you a story of, of a, a lady named Anna. She's a woman in, in, our, in our church plant, and she came to faith, and I wanna kind of read her story for you. It says in 2012, I was invited by a lovely coworker to go to a Christmas worship service. She always worked so well and she had so much joy when she was working. Gradually, I got to the courage to ask her, how do you do it? You come to work day after day with such joy. Her answer, my faith. I was astounded because in my past and at this point, I had never met anyone who had really experienced joy as a result of their faith. I didn't respond to her invitation, Uh, at that time, but one day on my desk, I found a gift with an invitation to the Christmas service. It was the beautiful Christmas story that made me really start to contemplate all of this. This is really, really important, this reaching out. In 2013, another invitation came, and I went alone to this Christmas worship service. And when I was on my way there, I started to feel a little bit uncomfortable. Anybody ever been there before? And as I neared the door, I thought, Oh, man, now I have to go in all alone. <laughs> I was immediately welcomed and accepted. Everything was uncomplicated. I saw young people who were actually really excited about celebrating the worship service. There was coffee, cake, and there was exciting conversations going on. Then came the preaching. And for me, the first time in my life, I understood it. I could follow, understand, and I wanted more. This was a huge surprise even for me. I spent the next days listening to sermons from the church. I was glad that they were on the website and I could have access to them at any time. My excitement grew more and more until January when I was invited to a still day, a quiet day. It's a day where we pray with some of these people. There I had the opportunity to see how they dealt with the word of God, to reflect and to experience a surprising day with God. And he made it clear to me deep down inside of myself, you have been received. The next day came and my coworker gifted me a Bible, which gradually became my most important teacher. And I experienced one of the worship services. Pastor Stefan offered to, me, uh, offered to meet me and drink coffee together and to talk. It was the beginning of many meetings because Stefan offered to teach me about the basics of the faith, what the Bible is, what the church means, what it means to believe, what it is to be a Christian and who God the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit is. It was an amazing time. This all began in January and in April, I was baptized with my new church uh, uh, and I was, I was baptized by my new church. And I was by the same coworker who had witnessed to me. Becoming a believer was the biggest and best yes of my entire life. To know and experience what Jesus has done for me, for each and every one, but also for me personally, he changed my life and he's continuing to change my life. My understanding of areas of life is different. My relationships have changed. I can trust in God and know that he's good and will always be successful in accomplishing it in my life and in others. Much of that which used to put me under pressure is today unimportant. In my struggles today, my struggles today I'm not alone. And the most amazing part is that I'm still growing in Christ and I look forward to what is to come. This is my, new, this is my hope for now that everyone, regardless of who he or she is, that she will find Jesus in his community and, 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 and know that nothing can remain as it is. It changes lives, amen? It changes churches. It brings unlikely people together. I love your church. I love seeing so many different people in so many different backgrounds in here. That to me says, wow, you guys get the gospel. The gospel is not about a culture, a language. The gospel is about Jesus and bringing us together into his family. And that is amazing. That's the things I love to see in Germany. You know, many people say, Are you, aren't you afraid of all the refugees coming to Germany? And I would say, no, why, why should I be afraid of somebody that God brought here and, and have a great opportunity to hear the gospel? Why should I be afraid of that? God is building his church. He's, he's the one doing it. And I wanna to get to my third point here and say, that this, that the gospel, that the gospel is my job, but to share the gospel. But saving people is not my job. Saving people has never been our job. The world is blessed because it's God's job. The world is blessed because of the effect of the gospel. The effect of the gospel is guaranteed and in that, we can have a great hope. I want you to look at verses 26 and 27. This is an amazing verse. Think about this. From one man, he has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and he's determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. He did this so that they might seek God and perhaps they might reach out and find him. Though he is not far from, the one, from one of us. He is not far from one of us. So God, this is, this is awesome. He, he is guaranteeing the gospel's success. So we are bearers of the gospel, but it was never our job to turn hearts. It was our job to communicate it in a way and to love people and to serve people, but it's but God's job to turn hearts and we can feel good about that. Some have asked me if I think the task of church, planting churches in Germany causes fear. And I would say no, because he's guaranteeing his glory. That will include people who don't care like in verse 32 that we read about, the people, um, it says that they, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some began to ridicule him. And so if people ridicule you, uh, welcome to the church, by the way. He's guaranteeing this. He's including people who don't care to hear the message. And some of them will give him praise. And even some will sacrifice everything for the gospel. In verse 33, we read... Then that that in, in verse 30 in, yeah it's a in verse in verse yeah 33 we read that Paul when he left their presence some men joined him and believed including Dionysius the Arapagite, and a woman named Damaris i don't know who those people were but apparently they were important because they got named um, but the other people there was a group of people that got added into this this gives me hope that we're all in this together but that god is leading the whole thing Spoiler alert, let me tell you about the next Star Wars. No, it's not about Star Wars. Spoiler alert, it's rigged. God wins and he saves all who are willing to believe the gospel. We often judge God by our standards, don't we? We think because we're quitters, that he's a quitter. We think that because we struggle with accomplishing our plans, that he struggles to accomplish his. God is not like us and how dare we even think that he is like us. He cannot quit what he has willed. And struggle isn't a term that could possibly apply to the Almighty and his love for people and desire to see people saved. And that gives me hope in Frankfurt, Germany. That gives me hope in Texas. When I spread the gospel as a witness, I know that God will be successful through my efforts. The world isn't blessed, because of the beautiful things we've created or done, but because of what God is doing in and through us. And we are reading the pages of the Bible of a God who is working masterfully to bring this powerful message to all peoples. I tell a friend of mine in Germany this pretty often. I say, he's skeptical, and I, and I, I love him. I remind him of that. And I'd say, God loves you. And it is no accident that I am, uh, that that you see me, that we have this relationship, that we're close together uh, geographically. I believe that God gives people a front row seat to the gospel to what his work is doing in, in the world very strategically. It is not an accident where you were born or where you have moved or what country you came from or what language you speak. It is not an accident. I believe that people that I come in contact with, that God has placed them there and, he, and we, we, we are responsible and, and get to be a part of what he's doing. I told my friend, I said, you're in the front row and I'll try not to spit on you but I'm not gonna stop sharing this with you because this changed my life. And he basically, Jesus basically, God basically picked the exact place that you would be born and to whom. That includes people of all nations. And God is bringing the nations to Austin, isn't he? I mean, he's already brought them here. It includes all peoples. Great Hills, it's not a coincidence that God created you where he did and put you where he did. If you're still in the early stages of your faith here and your faith journey here today, and you haven't really made up your mind about Jesus yet, let me tell you that he loves you because you're sitting here this morning surrounded by people who love you. It's not an accident that you came here today. No one is hearing this, who's heard this, has heard this by accident. God has planned where you would be born. It says right there. The Bible tells us to believe on the Lord Jesus and we'll be saved. The gospel redeems all of our desires, no matter what they are, no matter what our past is, and the things that we worship. And he puts our old desires, he put our old desires to death on the cross, and he redeems those desires and shows us how we can live and love and glorify him. And our God is mighty to save. He's the author of salvation. The world is blessed because of the gospel and all that God has done in the person of Jesus and because of the Father who sent the Holy Spirit to sign, to seal and deliver, guaranteeing redemption of sinners. His rightful reward for his glory is for the nations, for all to see. Let 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 us be real about the problems that are in this world, but let us be Let us share the gospel with a great passion as you guys already are. And as we want to do across the world and let us keep hope and don't lose hope in knowing that God is guaranteeing his glory. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you God so much. You love this world. You love the people here. And I truly believe that when we come together and that when we talk about this glorious gospel that you've given, that Jesus loves people and he's, uh, come to redeem them. God, I believe that this message of the things that you've done, um, that it's no accident that we hear this, that we've come in contact. And I pray for that person um, who's still on the journey, still, still thinking about what all this means for their life, and that they would see that, that God is not there to only remove their desires, but to redeem those desires, and that those, those things that were in their life we'll we'll begin in a way to to give glory to you. God, thank you that we are not alone in Frankfurt, Germany doing this work. Thank you that I don't have to walk down the road with so much pressure upon my shoulders, but that you sent me out as a bearer of light, that you sent us all here out as a bearer of light to where we are and that the pressure's on you. And for you, it's nothing. You love people more than we will ever love people. Help us to have your heart. Help us to serve. Help us to sacrifice. But help us to trust in you and not in ourselves. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for not giving us what we deserved. But thank you for giving us that which, which we didn't deserve, an inheritance that's not perishing, It's not fading, one that's kept in heaven for us, that if we believe upon your Son, that you will save us. Everyone to who believes, you'll save us. Thank you, God. It's in your name we pray. It's your breath in our lungs, and we pour out our praise to you. Amen.